So welcome to the second ever student-led vertical. This is one of my favorite things that we do. We started this last fall and it was probably one of the highlights of the semester. It's so cool to get to see our peers step up here um, and use their gifts to serve the Lord. Um, my name is Bailey Flake. I am a senior accounting major here at Baylor. And over the past year, I've had the absolute joy of serving as the president of this thing we call Vertical. It's been one of the most challenging years of my life, but also the most rewarding. And tonight, I am excited to get to share with you a little about what the Lord has taught me and just some of my testimony um, as we dive into the Word together. So when I was in the fourth grade, we went on this field trip. This wasn't your typical field trip to the zoo or to a museum. Um, this was a field trip to a magical place called Enterprise City. If you're from Dallas, you might know what I'm talking about. Um, and with this field trip, every student had a role. You had bankers, you had some police officers that got to tell people not to walk on the grass. You had some store clerks, some cooks. Um, so everyone had a role. And the objective of this field trip was to teach nine and 10 year olds how to run a city. Not sure why we needed to know that at nine and 10. We learned how to write checks. We learned how to um, make purchases. Um, so everyone had a role. Somehow it was decided that I was supposed to be the mayor of this city. I was nine. I had no idea what a mayor did. Um, but let me say, I thought I was hot stuff. I had this outfit picked out. It was my first blazer, red and white polka dots, and some heels that were red and white. Reminder how old I was, nine years old. Um, so I thought I was really cool. I had this title of mayor. What does that mean? I still don't even know if I know what a mayor necessarily does on a daily basis. Um, but probably the whole field trip, I most of the time sat with my feet up on a desk because I thought I was a leader. And I thought since I had a title, you know, it was all about me. I could do whatever I wanted, right? And so although I had the title and I considered myself a leader, I was leading absolutely no one, and I did absolutely nothing. So tonight, we're going to be talking about leadership. We're actually kicking off our final series of the semester titled Everyday Leadership. It's going to be a sweet time to just learn what it looks like to lead on a daily basis. But what is leadership? So I googled, I went on Amazon and I looked at leadership books. You know how many results came up? 60 thousand. Y'all, you could read, that means you could read over 4,000 books, or a thousand, sorry, math, accounting. Um, <laughs> uh, you could read a thousand books every year until you turn 80 and still not have read them all, because there's going to be more written too. Y'all, that's like three books a day. I don't know about you, but I still have textbooks that I haven't opened yet this semester. Probably shouldn't have bought those. Sorry, mom. Um, so why are there so many books? Is leadership really that complicated? I mean, we, we can take classes on leadership. I mean, you can get a minor on leadership at Baylor. And I've had the joy of taking some of those classes and they're incredible, I will say that. Um, but why is it so important? Everyone has their own definition of leadership and everyone has different things that, think make a good, that they think make a good leader. Tonight, I want you to view leadership as influence and impact. Leadership isn't a point that you reach or strive for. It is simply something that you can do on a daily basis. Leadership is challenging and uncomfortable, but it is not a title or position. 
So for part of my testimony tonight, I'm gonna get to share with you three lies that I have believed and I have listened to during my time at Baylor and during my time in leadership. The first lie I believed was, you are what's on your resume. During college, we are consistently told that we need to build a resume if we wanna get a job after college. Our professors tell us that, our parents tell us that. We, hey, we have classes in the business school, I think you take three of them, 1101, 2101, and 3101, all about building a resume. Why is this so important? Why do they want us to build the perfect resume? They want us to have the 4.0. They tell us, oh, you need to be in a variety of organizations so that it looks like you have, a diverse, you have diverse hobbies on campus. They want you to get a job in school so it can show that you can manage multiple things at once and not just be a student. You've gotta get the strong summer internship, especially after that junior year. Because you, if you don't have that strong summer internship, you're not gonna have a job. You, we also have the social pre pressures. You gotta get that ring by spring, which we talked about earlier this semester, you know. Can't leave college and not be engaged. I know I have like six save the dates on my fridge right now. Um, and then maybe you have the pressure coming from around you to have the perfect church attendance. Don't, don't oversleep, that's not gonna be good. It's not gonna look good on your resume. This world tells us we have to wear 15 different hats at once, at least. 15. Okay, let's walk through our days. Let's see what some of these hats that we might wear might be. We have to go to class. Well, we should. 75% of class. <laughs> um, we, we have to have a job sometimes. I don't know if maybe you're a TA. Got to manage those responsibilities, grade papers, hold an SI session. You've got to be the good roommate. Now, don't go leave your stuff sitting in the living room. You know, that's really annoying. Or make sure you clean your dishes. I don't want to do that for you. Be the good friend. Make sure you're going on a coffee, getting coffee with someone at least once a week. You know, got to be social. Be the good son or daughter. Make sure you call home. Let mom and dad know how you're doing. Let them know what you're involved in, how, how your classes went, how that test just went yesterday. Oh, don't forget to post an Instagram story because make it look like you have free time with all these 15 hats that you wear. Make sure you are serving the community and going to read books to kids. Be in multiple organizations. Oh, and don't forget to attend Bible study on Thursday night. Oh, maybe on Monday night and Wednesday night. Oh, and lead one on Tuesday? Yeah. So we are driven to perfection in all these things. We're told to wear all these hats, to be fully present in all of them, and be highly achieving in all that we do. I don't know about y'all, but I still don't feel like I'm perfect yet when I, man when I try to manage all these hats. We listen and burden ourselves with all these things that we have to do. And we make it almost impossible on ourselves to do anything at all. We listen and believe the lie that we have to have the perfect resume, and that resume is who we are. That resume is not who you are. That is an absolute lie. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3. With this passage, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing a letter of encouragement. So here, he's encouraging the church, but he's also just warning them about things that could happen. Um, so let's look in Philippians 3, starting in the middle of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, 
a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So we see in the first part of this, verses four through five, Paul's giving his resume. Y'all, he had an outstanding one. He had the credentials. He came from the right family. He was kind of the ideal Jew that people thought of whenever someone was like, oh, who do you look up to? Paul. This would be like um, Jeff Bezos, creator of Amazon. We're all incredibly grateful, two-day shipping. Um, Grateful for that when I forget to buy things, for class especially. Um, So Paul had the credentials, but he writes to the church in Philippi and he says, all of that is a loss. It's all rubbish. None of it matters in compared to knowing Christ. So that'd be like Jeff Bezos saying, hey, that Amazon thing, it's all trash. I don't care about it. it. Knowing Christ is so much better. Paul is begging us here not to, not to find our confidence in ourselves and the things that we do, in our accomplishments. He's begging us to find our confidence in Christ. The 4.0, the leadership title, the grad school acceptance you're waiting on, the internship that you want this summer, or the job you want after school, whatever it may be right now, all of it is a loss in compared to knowing Christ. And I can tell you that from experience. I have this internship next spring and it's, for me, like, it's rubbish. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy in the long run. Yeah, it's exciting in the moment when I found out I got it. That's awesome. But it doesn't satisfy for eternity. All these things have expiration dates. The 4.0, if you are lucky enough to get that every semester of college, wow, that's incredible. But after college, that doesn't really matter anymore once you get a job. The internship, it's just, it just lasts for a summer. The leadership position, a lot of them expire at the end of the year. Mine, in, mine ends in six weeks. We cannot put our confidence in these things because they have expiration dates. You want me to prove it to you? So I brought my letterman jacket from high school. You know, I went to school up in Dallas and when it hit about 70 degrees, we started bringing these out because we were so excited to show everyone our letterman jackets. But you know, just walking to class sweating meanwhile. And so we would wear these. Just really, it's kind of a resume if you think about it that we would wear around school. Um, Says first lieutenant on here, I was on the dance team. You know, people had these all state choir patches. Those are all great things and those are all great things to be proud of. But ultimately, we don't still wear our letterman jackets at Baylor, do we? If you do, maybe don't wear it (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Just a word of advice. Um, So all those things that we found confidence in in high school, we don't care about anymore. It's going to be the same way with the things that we care, that we can find confidence in now in a couple years down the road. We're not going to remember the one semester that we got a 4.0. We're not going to remember every leadership position we had. Four years from now, there's going to be a lot of other things that matter to us. That is why we have to find our confidence in Christ now and as we keep going through this life. 
we have to stop believing the lie that we are what is on our resume. Our, our accomplishments and achievements may bring us the recognition we need in the moment, but ultimately they're not going to satisfy. And that attention we need is ultimately worthless in comparison, in comparison to having a relationship with Christ. These accomplishments, it makes it about us. Your resume, whose name is at the top of the paper? Yours. All those things are about us. Which leads me to my second lie that I believed while here at Baylor. It's all about me. We're so caught up in making the perfect resume that we're preoccupied with acceptance and approval and that we're driven to boast in the things we have done. We boast in our grades, the grade we got on the test last week. We boast in how little sleep we got to study for the test. We boast in our singer, our pigskin performance, our float that we're building right now. We boast in the uh, coffee we had with a friend this week. Or the, maybe you boast to your roommates and you say, hey, I, look, I cleaned the dishes today. Aren't you proud of me? I know I've done that. The pressure around us makes us believe the lie that it's all about us. And it makes us boast in our accomplishments so that we can make it about us because we believe that if this life is about us, we have to climb this ladder to success. And how do we climb the ladder if we don't let people know what we're doing right? If we don't let people know the accomplishments that we have. We believe the lie that we have to climb the ladder to success and surpass other people. But that is not what we are called to. Turn over in your Bibles, just one page to the left. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This says do nothing out of selfish ambition. Y'all, we do everything out of selfish ambition. Researchers say that we spend 95% of our days thinking about ourselves. And if you're like, oh no, I don't do that. I, I don't think about myself that much. You're thinking about yourself right now. We think about how we did on the project, what we're going to eat. That's all we're thinking about. While we sit in class, we're thinking about, oh, what, how can I, what can I do to distract me from my professor that's talking right now? We do everything out of selfish ambition. And we naturally look out for our own interests. We want to know how something's going to affect us. How the conversation you just had with someone, how, how is that going to make you look good? Or, oh, did I say something wrong that's going to make me look worse? Did I mess up? We only think about ourselves and consider ourselves. Paul is telling us here to humble ourselves. You are not greater than the people around you. I promise. We are called to view others as better than ourselves. And oftentimes we don't even consider how things will affect others or how others are doing. Maybe you walked in here tonight with a higher view of yourself because you made it to vertical and your friend decided not to come. Or you walked in here because, example I gave earlier, you cleaned the dishes this weekend, so you're the, you're the good roommate this week. You made the gold star list on the fridge. Or you walked in here tonight thinking you're better than someone else because you didn't go out to the party this weekend. We are all equal. None of us are greater than one another. And we have to consider that as we walk on this campus. So 
Paul's telling us do nothing out of selfish ambition, do nothing out of selfish ambition and consider others. But if that's natural for us, how do we do that? How is that even possible if that's our natural tendency? So let's keep reading in Philippians 2. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the ultimate example of this. He had the ultimate position. He was the king of kings. He sat on a throne. But yet, he regarded that as not important to him. He came down to earth. He lived as a servant. He experienced temptation. He experienced persecution. And yet, he lived a perfect life. Still. And then he died. For you and for me, he died so that we might be able to have a relationship with him. Not a death he deserved. He didn't deserve to die on the cross for us, but he chose to. He considered you and viewed you as more significant than his position and himself. And he took that upon himself, you were all of your sin, and died on a cross. And three days later, he rose again for you. We spend so much time trying to climb this ladder to success, to wealth, titles, self-worth, perfection, beauty, whatever it may be for you. And at times we think, if I could just get to that position on the ladder, I'll be good. That's when I'll consider others. That's when I'll stop making it about me. I just need to get to that position. But in reality, that never ends. You get the position and then you want the next one, the, year, the next year later. You get the salary and then you want the bigger salary because you can do more with that bigger salary. You get the grade and then you're like, oh, maybe I can do better the next time. Let me work even harder. The ladder never ends for us. Jesus did the opposite of climbing the ladder to, to success. He came down the ladder from the ultimate position so that we might have a relationship with him. He cared about you more than he cared about his position, more than he cared about his title. It wasn't about him. He made his life about you. Jesus set the ultimate example of humility by leaving his throne, coming to earth as a servant, and dying with the weight of our sin on his shoulders. We've got to stop believing the lie that this life is about us, because it's not. My third lie that I believed while I was in college is that God loves depend, God's love depends on what I do. We live in a world that operates on transactional love. We've all experienced this in some aspect or another. Maybe it's the friend that is only there for you when it's convenient for them, and you feel like when something would actually happen to you that no one would be around. Maybe it's the person you're in a relationship with that only wants you for what you can give them or how you make them look, how you look on their Instagram. Maybe it's the parent that says I love you, but they don't even know what organization you're involved in, or they don't even call to see how you are. We've all experienced this transactional love at some point or another. 
And this view distorts our view of God's love and it confuses us about how God loves us. We've gotten to a point where we believe there are things that we can do to make God love us more or less. That is a lie. That may be how the world operates, but that is not how our God operates. For so long, I understood that I was a daughter of God, but I was so caught up in seeking approval and achieving the standards that I had set for myself personally that I was unable to see that God loved me the same in my failures, in my success, and at every point in between. Romans 8, 38 through, 30, Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can change the way that God loves you. Nothing. Maybe you failed a test yesterday. God still loves you the same. Or maybe you ace a test. He still loves you the same as the person that got the lowest grade. He doesn't operate transactionally. There's nothing you can do to gain his love, to make, it, make him love you more or make him love you less. And nothing will ever change that either. He will never stop loving you. He can't. It's part of his character. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. If God is love, he can't stop loving. Maybe you've heard that God loves you since you were an infant or always saying Jesus loved me growing up and at this point you're just kind of numb to it. Going to all the VBSs, Sunday school every morning. Ephesians 3.19 says, God's love surpasses knowledge. His love is not like anything we've experienced on this earth. And it's nothing that we can comprehend. God's love doesn't depend on you or what you do. And it will never change because of what you become. We tend to base God's love on what we see in the mirror. We go stand in front of the mirror and we see the student that just failed the test or is tired and angry, maybe just blew up at our roommate. And we think God loves us less because in that moment, we don't love ourselves very much. Or you look in the mirror and you just ace the test or led the Bible study or you're about to go to formal, so you know, you look, you look really good, you feel good. You think God loves you more for that. That's not how God operates, y'all. His love is constant, and his love is enough for you and for me. There is no amount of spiritual makeup that can make you more presentable to him. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can't do, and no point that you can get to that will make him love you more or less. He sees you for who you truly are, every part of you, and loves you fully. No success or failure, adequacy or inadequacy, will ever change God's love for you. God's love isn't based on what you do or what you might become. He knows you, he knows your heart, the good and the bad, and he loves every part of you. So as I close tonight... I told you three lies that I believed while I was in college. I told you that I believed I was what was on my resume. I believed that it was all about me. And I believed that God's love depended on what I did. I want to, tell, I want to close with three truths. Truth number one, 
You are not what's on your resume. It's a piece of paper. Whether it's a strong piece of paper or whether it's not that strong right now. That doesn't define you. Number two, it's not about you. There's so many people around you that we need to consider. And oftentimes we don't even think about others. And number three, God's love does not depend on you or what you do. Ever. The pressure for the perfect resume and the pressure to climb the ladder to success may change the world's view of you, but we have to stop getting so caught up in the lies that our accomplishments and our status define us. And in order to stop getting caught up in the lies, you have to feed yourself with truth. You have to read God's word. Don't just come to Vertical and listen to Dale or whoever speak. Don't just go to church and listen to the sermon. Fill yourself with God's word daily. That is how you combat lies. Because we can turn to his word for truth. Study God's word and be reminded daily that he has a love for you that is incomprehensible. There's absolutely nothing you can do or can't do to change that. Let that love affect how you see others, how you live, and ultimately how you lead. Christ's resume is the perfect one. It changed the world. Not Paul's, not yours, not mine, not anyone here on this earth. He's enough for you and me. And when we believe that, we can find freedom from the pressure to be perfect. And we can lead because we have been loved and not because of our credentials, not because of the life that we have built for ourselves. And that kind of leadership is what will change the world. Let's pray. Father, um, we come to you humbled before you, Lord, knowing that you love us. I pray that you would remind us of this daily when we wake up in the morning, when we take the test that we didn't think we did so well on, when we give the presentation that we let our group down. But I pray that you would remind us that you love us, that you are good and your love endures forever. Nothing can change that. Lord, I just... This life is not about us, and it has never been about us. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we can make it about us, for considering ourselves so often and how things might benefit us. Father, you are bigger than that. You are bigger than our resume. You are bigger than our accomplishments. I pray that we would leave here knowing that, knowing that you love us, Nothing we do or become will ever change that. Help us to walk out of here tonight, living as though that love has changed us because your love is powerful, it is strong, and it is constant. Help us to lead because we have been loved, not because of what we have done or the life we've built for ourselves. Lord, be glorified in this place tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.